This is the Trails Church Podcast. At the Trails Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples through the gospel in community and on mission. If you'd like more information about our church, visit our website, thetrails.org. Now, here's today's podcast. Good morning. My name is Josh, and I serve here at the trails uh, on staff, and it is my joy to lead us in studying God's Word today. Would you please open your Bible and join me in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, starting in verse 6. Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, starting in verse 6. I have one simple goal for us this morning. I want us to see, believe, and embrace that there's joy for us in Jesus Christ. Rich, real, life-changing, life-sustaining, abundant joy is available to anyone who would rely on Christ alone. This is true. I know that when you hear the topic of joy is up for discussion today, a variety of responses might come into the room. You have on one end those who are experiencing joy today. You've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, and you're hungry for more. You're here, and that's why you want to keep coming, is you love Jesus, and you want to go and keep growing in your love. And on the other end of the spectrum, there there are those who, that's also true, but your experience of it may not be as fervent. Some of you might have closed your heart off to the idea of joy, You've seen some people have joy, like the group we just described, but for you, you, you've kind of gotten to come to the conclusion that there are two, two classes of Christians, the joyful ones and then me, right? Those who have joy in Jesus and then those of us who have just kind of not experienced it the way that others have, so we've just kind of assumed, I guess that's not going to be part of my Christian experience. There are those of us who might be so deep in sin, you don't even think that God is uh, willing to brighten your days with the happiness of knowing Christ, and so you've just given up. Some of you might be going through hurting and pain that just isn't going away. There's no prospect of it changing, and you just can't even fathom what joy would even look like in the midst of your pain. And I just want you to know, wherever you're at in this room, there is joy for you in Jesus. It's my singular goal. It's because there's so many different hearts in this room that we have to have one singular goal. And our one singular goal today is that you walk away controlled and compelled by the reality that there is actual, true, real, life-changing joy for you in Christ. And that this matters for everything. And so that's what I want us to see. Dane Ortland says this, joy is the fuel of, not a bonus to, the Christian life. Let me say that one more time. Joy is the fuel of, not a bonus to, the Christian life. He says this, The difference between a Christian life, with or without joy, is the difference between a boat being driven along by a tired oarsman or by a sail full of wind. Without the winds of joy, we may make progress, at least on calm days, but it will be slow, painful, and exhausting. And on a day when the waves of circumstances are against us, we can only be driven backward, no matter how resolved the will. I agree with Dane Ortland on this. I think he's 100% right. I bet after hearing that description, you might too. You see, friends, I want to be more joyful. 
just as a brother. I want more joy in Christ. I want to be more stable in my joy in Christ throughout the ebbs and flows of life. I want to be more content. I want to learn like Paul says. He's learned the contentment of knowing Christ. And isn't contentment just joy that's settled down? It's joy that says no matter whether I'm doing good or bad circumstantially, I'm okay. In fact, I'm happy in Christ because I have him. That's contentment. I want that. I find that I so often don't experience joy the way that I should or the way that I want to, and I bet you do too. I want joy, and I bet you do too. And so what I want to do is have us look together at God's word so that we might see that there is joy for us. There is a fountain of joy eternal for us to drink from. And I just want us to see there's the fountain. Let us drink. We're going to deal with this the same way we would deal with any sort of emotion or desire. We don't address the emotion or desire. We look to Christ. We let things catch up. This is what Dane Ortland says. He says, the way to cultivate joy in God's people is not to talk about joy, but to talk about God. You see, because me saying you should be joyful doesn't automatically make you joyful. You need something that is going to fuel the joy, and that is God himself. So we're not going to talk about joy and that exhort you to be joyful. We're going to look at God and we're going to fix our eyes on Jesus and let the Spirit do the work of fueling our joy in him. That sound good? All right. The Gospel of Luke, which has today's text, provides this historical account of the life of Jesus. And we can see that Luke writes with very specific purpose. We see this in the first four verses. You can check it out later if you'd like. But he basically says this. He's writing to Christians to help them know the certainty that everything they believe in about Jesus is all true. None of it's made up. So with that in mind, he wants us to have certainty that, that, that Jesus is really born. And that's really the meaning of today's text that we're going to see. I'm going to give it to you up front so that we can spend more time really meditating. The point of the text we'll look at, Luke 2, chapter 6, verses, uh, Luke, sorry, Luke 2, Verses 6 through 11, chapter through me. Luke 2, verses 6 through 11, is this. Jesus is really born. And the incarnation of Christ was the inauguration of God's redemptive plan being fulfilled. And that is good news. Luke writes, so that you can have certainty that Jesus was really born, so that you can know with certainty that you can be truly saved. And for us this morning, the certainty of our salvation means the certainty of joy for you. And me. So that's what we're going to look at. As we look at Luke 2, Luke 2 we're going to see three aspects of joy that is ours because Christ has come for us. First, we're going to see the joy that God is for us. Then we'll explore the joy that God has saved us. And lastly, we will consider the joy that God has sent us. And along the way, we're going to look at what I call joy robbers. You know, that's really original. They're robbers of joy in our daily life that seek to keep us and take us and distract us from finding our joy in Jesus and I want us to just look at how we can address those through faith in Christ. So would you please stand with me as we read God's word? And I know that we're approaching a text that for many of us are just, is just, it's very commonplace. We know that this is what Christmas is about. I just want to remind us, God will change us through his word. Let's trust him to do that as we read. This is Luke 2, starting in verse 6. This is God's word. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all 
the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This is God's word. Would you please pray with me? Uh, Father, we thank you for your word. Would you please take this and through your spirit help us to have real, rich, and true joy in Jesus. In the name of your son we ask this. Amen. Please be seated. Good news of great joy. That's what this says. This was what the angel said he came to bring. And the word great here refers to an intensity of emotion. In the Greek, the word great is actually mega. So if you've ever heard of Megatron or Mega Trucks or Mega Blocks or whatever you want to put mega, Mega Sale, Mega Blowout, whatever mega is, it's great. And so that's the idea here is that this is not your ordinary news. This is news that's meant to create in us deep, rich, life-changing, mega joy. And ever since this news was proclaimed here on the countryside of Judea, it has sent shockwaves of joy throughout the world. This is wonderful. This good news is that a Savior has been born. This is not merely about a birth, but a promise kept. You see, in the birth of Jesus, we find that God was keeping his promise to redeem his people. The arrival of Jesus meant that God had not forsaken or given up on his plan to redeem us from sin. And that is what's happening. You're seeing the inauguration of this. And I just want us to think the intensity of joy we're going after. We we have a picture of this. Remember in Exodus, when as Boz was leading us through this, we saw how the Israelites rejoiced when they heard that after all their years, 400 years of suffering under the oppression of Pharaoh, Yahweh had finally come to deliver them from that oppression. And what happened? Joy erupted. The people celebrated. And that's why Boz has been having us practice that and rehearse it. In many ways, we've been preparing for the reality of Advent, is that we have joy in Jesus. And now consider, though, the eruption of joy, the intensity of joy that comes when the angels come to the shepherds and they proclaim that the promised snake crusher, who has promised to come and redeem us, not from slavery to Egypt, but slavery to sin, something we can't fix ourselves, something we can't get out of ourselves. He was going to come and redeem us. This promise was made all the way back in Genesis 3.15, and now it's come more than 400 years. Ever since the fall, he's finally come. That's good news. But I want us to see behind God's faithful promise-keeping and into God's heart Notice this little phrase in the text. It says here, for unto you is born this day a Savior. Unto you. You know, it's interesting. If we look through Luke 1 and 2, we see this unique rhythm happening. God has a plan to bless the world, and he's going to do it through blessing some specific people, and he wants to tell them about it. Now, that's pretty mind-boggling because if we think about it, and we don't let this be so common, we just reflect a little bit, we think God did not have to do it this way. We know that. God could have done it any way he chose to. But in his good grace and kind sovereignty, he chose that this is the best way to bring himself glory. It's to come and tell these little, broken, needy people that he's going to do something great for them. And that through that, he's going to bless the world and fulfill all of his promises. We see this in Luke with Zechariah. We see this in Luke with Mary, the pronouncement that God is going to do something great. And what the rhythm is, is we see God sending an angel from him to them with a message of grace that is for them. That's wonderful. God sends them a message from him through the angels that is for them. And that's exactly what we see here with the shepherds. The angels say, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day a Savior. 
The Lord sent these shepherds. But why? Who is the message for? Who is the Savior for? Who is these promises made and promises kept for? Who is God trying to bless in all this? You. Me. The people of God from every tribe, tongue, and nation. He is for us. That's what this promise, that's what this text reminds us of. This simple reflection helps us see that behind God's faithful promise keeping is a heart that is for us in Christ. You see, it's, it's not just that God's character is faithful, that's wonderful and glorious, but that's too abstract for, people, for the people of God to think about. We have to think that our Father is faithful, and His faithfulness is for you. He uses His faithfulness to care for you and protect you, and He, he, ordain, like he, he executes it all for your good. So the true joy of God's faithfulness is the fact that He is for us in Christ. But one of the main ways our enemy seeks to erode, erode our joy is to make us think that that's not true, right? We've all sensed this. You know how the great, uh, sorry, gosh, you know how the Grinch hates how much the Who's love Christmas? He hates it. I think that's very similar of a picture for how Satan hates every joy you step, or every step you take to finding your joy in Jesus, he hates it. And so what he'll do is he'll try to erode that joy by building and seeping in insecurity into your relationship with God. Specifically, he tempts us to fear that God may not be for us. And underlying every single fear that you and I experience, if you peel it back far enough, what you'll likely find is there's this pesky whisper that we just can't seem to run away from. And it whispers, God may not be for you in this. God doesn't really have your best interest in mind. Doesn't that sound so familiar? It's the same lie he's been peddling ever since the beginning, and our hearts so easily pull at the bait, and we say, well, what if God isn't? This text shows us that God is. He is for us in Christ, and that is wonderful news. You see, when we start to go, when we start to believe this lie, it draws us inward into the trap of self-protection, and that robs us from the ability to enjoy God and love people. It kills any opportunity for joy because it takes our eyes off of Jesus and on to ourselves. We start to think we have to make ourselves happy. And we run to the things of the world to do that. So do you see symptoms of this fear in your own life? Are you afraid and feeling joyless today? Do you feel insecure and that's sucking away your joy? Do you fear that God's grip might be slipping? He is not. He is faithful and he holds his people fast. And this text just reminds us of that. I want us to see that this text reminds us that God keeps his promises, but he keeps his promises for you. And right now in your life, he is helping you. He's helping you fight sin. He's growing you in Christ. He's justified you and he delights in you. He is for you, my friends. So breathe this in. The reality that God is for us and faithful to us fills us with joy, much like breath fills up a lung. So breathe in the fact that God is for you in Christ and let it fuel joy. That's not it. It's not only good news that God is for us, but it's good news of great joy that God has saved us. If we look at the main emphasis of this text, what we'll find is that the real good news behind, or the real goodness, the greatness, the mega-ness of the news is the fact that a Savior has been born. It's structured like this. I have great news. Well, Mr. Angel, what's the news? A Savior has come. And this shows us that we can have joy 
because we are saved in Christ. And I want, you, I want us to spend some time reflecting on this and seeing how comprehensive this joy is. Because for the Christian, salvation has liberated us into joy because we're freed from wrath, we're freed from sin, and we're finally freed to enjoy God. And I want us to see all three of those by meditating on the titles we see in this text. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. So first, a Savior has been born. You see that right there? A Savior the title Savior reminds us that we're freed from the wrath of God simply because a Savior means you've got to be saved from something. What do, what do we need saved from? I like to say, you know, they say you've got to know the bad news before you can know the good news. Well, the bad news of the human condition is that we are guilty and we can't fix it. This is not a problem that we can fix on our own or in our own ability. All of us are rebels. I'm a rebel against God, and so are you. The Bible's description of our whole life is one of rebellion. We've considered God not that valuable, and instead we've run to other things to find joy, and that deserves wrath. We've hated God, even though he's been so kind to us. This is no small thing. But we can't fix that. We can't fix the fact that we stand condemned under the wrath of God, but God can and God made a way for us to be reconciled but how how could God make unholy people holy while still maintaining his own holiness how can he do all this Paul tells us in Romans 3 he summarizes it by saying this through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood so in other words what Paul is saying is why are you saved from the wrath of God today Christian it's not because of anything that you did. It's because God chose to put forward Christ for you. It's because God chose to act on your behalf and to redeem you for his glory and so that you can enjoy him. That's good news. We see the Father sent the Son to take the wrath that we deserve, and the Son delighted to do the will of the Father. And so on the cross, Jesus soaked up the wrath of God like a sponge and satisfied it so that there's no drop left for those who are his people. We're free from the wrath of God. Amen. There's none left for you if you're in Christ. You'll never taste a drop of it because he took it on in full. Now what's left for you is full joy, full redemption, full adoption, full righteousness declared over you. That's what's ours, because God put forward the Son. This is the joy of salvation. This is the good news of the gospel, but I want to ask, is this still good news to us this morning, or have these words, gospel, salvation, sin, grown boring? Have they grown dull? I pray that they don't. But that is one of the most frequent ways that our joy is robbed, is we fail to see the preciousness of this gospel. That's one of the reasons why we have to preach the gospel to, us, to ourselves daily, because the good news that God loves us in Christ fuels our joy in him. And so I want to remind us that the gospel is anything but commonplace. Look at the text and see what happens. The angel said to them, fear not, for unto you is born, and this will be a sign. And suddenly, verse 13, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. What happens when joy is announced? What happens when salvation is announced to the world? Angels start celebrating the goodness of God that he would choose to save us. So if the gospels become commonplace to you, I just want to invite us. Let this text do its work. Let it drive away the fog of commonness ordinariness 
And let's see things the way the angels do. You see, the angels spent all day rejoicing in God, glorifying and exalting in God. But when they look in in the gospel, they celebrate. And this song is just an overture of the song that will be sung in eternity. As Revelation 5 says, Worthy are you to take the scroll, for you have redeemed a people of God from every tribe, tongue, and nation. This is not common. This is good news. And so if you're here and you're not a Christian, I want to help you specifically take time to think about this. This message is the uniqueness of Christianity. See, the message of Christianity is not about the adherence of the faith, but our God. It's not about us. We are not better people. We are blood-bought people, and that is our confession. So if you are here, the good news is that this Savior was born to save you, and you can be forgiven for the wrath of God. You stand right now condemned because of your rebellion and rejection of God every day of your life. Because God bore the wrath of God for you, you can be forgiven so that you can now enjoy God for the rest of your life. Trust in Christ, turn from sin, and he will receive you, and you can have joy. So whether the gospel is new to you, whether the gospel is dull, or if you're somewhere in between, let's learn from the angels the preciousness of having a savior. This is good news that we are saved from wrath. Remember how Christ satisfied that wrath for you. Let it fuel your joy in him. That's not else. That's not all. Additionally, the title Christ here, we have Savior, we have Christ. Christ reminds us that we're freed from sin. The word Christ is a Greek word for Messiah, which was a long-awaited king that the people were waiting for. This was going to be the king who would free them from the bondage of their oppressors. And specifically, they started to think, the Jews started to expect a liberator from Rome. That was the thing they were anticipating. But God did something so much better. He didn't send someone who would set up a political dynasty who would just ruin in the end. He came to free us from sin and Satan. And now because of Christ, he has brought us out of the domain of darkness and brought us into the, his own kingdom and freed us so that we are no longer under the shackles of Satan and the bondage to sin. So the good news of this is that we don't have to give in anymore. And isn't that one of the greatest obstacles to our joy in Christ is our own love of sin? We get so full eating from the trash can that we don't even want to taste from the banquet that is ours in Christ. Are you here today and this is your experience? Are you robbing yourself of joy because you're just getting so satisfied off the junk food of what the world has to offer? You don't have to give in anymore. If you're stuck in darkness and joy seems so far, Satan absolutely wants you to think that you're doomed. He wants you, every time you hear his roar or his whisper, to just give in and to bow down, but our God comes to your defense, and he roars back, and he says over you, you are justified, and he's already there helping you. He says, call out to me. There will never be a moment. There will never be a moment where I won't help you. So friends, let us fight sin like we're freed from it because we are. Let us fight sin and experience the joy of living in righteousness. And that leads to our third point. We don't experience joy merely by running away from something. We run to someone, and that is Christ. Our joy is ultimately found in God himself. And that is what we see here. The title Lord reminds us that we've been freed to enjoy God. You see, the word Lord refers to a master, someone who owns something. And we know that God, our creator, that's the whole point of Christmas. That's what we're celebrating is that God, our creator, became like us to redeem us. That's pretty cool. That is pretty 
good news. And part of that redemption we experience, the comprehensiveness of it, is that now the Spirit makes it so that we can worship God the way we were designed to do in the first place. So now we're actually free to enjoy God. And Paul got this. We get this when we read Paul's letters. You see the sense of what it looks like when he says, I, to live is Christ and to die is gain. I would rather depart because I know it's for, better for me to be with him. This is a picture of someone who understands that God is his greatest joy. And here's why this is so important for us. On a day-to-day level, one of the most common joy robbers in our life is our tendency to run to stuff to make us happy. Right? But Christ has freed us from this idolatry. And now we're free to truly enjoy our God. In fact, the fact that Christ has freed us to enjoy him actually frees us to now be the only people on the planet who can enjoy the gifts that God gives us. Simply because we no longer need them to satisfy us because we're satisfied in Christ. So it doesn't matter what the gift is. We can now enjoy it as kindling for our fuel and for our joy in Christ. Now, every gift the Father gives us, whether it's our family or a truck or a promotion or a, a, you know, a vacation or a sunset or flowers or whatever it is, you can look at everything. All of life becomes this platform of joy because now we can receive every good gift and trace our joy back to the giver rather than get stuck in a shallow well. There's joy for us in Christ. Do you see it? This joy of salvation is so comprehensive, even if there is a famine We get to feast because our joy is Christ and we always have him. And that is the center reality of the joy of our salvation. We've been freed from the wrath of God by God's grace. And we've been freed from the oppression of sin so that we can now run and enjoy God in part today, truly, and in full forever. That's what we long for. That's what Advent is doing for us. It's fusing joy in us because we're waiting for the day when our joy that we taste in part now will finally be full. Let us drink from the joy of our Redeemer. That's not it. There's one more point of joy worth looking at, and it's the joy that we are sent. Notice how this news is declaring that there's a Savior for all the people. Can you think of any other news in the world that is truly universal? No. I don't think there is. You see, if a friend gets a job promotion, that's great for them, but it doesn't do an ounce of good for you. News has to apply to you in order for it to be good to you. So a good economy or a new law in Poland doesn't make an ounce of difference in Peru. News has to be for you in order to make a difference for your life. And this text tells us that the good news of a Savior for all the people means that it's only truly universal good news. Because it's the news that any type of person from any place in the world, no matter their background, their brokenness, or anything in between, can know and taste the joy of being reconciled to God through faith in the one who was born here in Judea. That is good news. But here's what I find fascinating. Is that this good news of great joy of salvation was taken from the lips of angels and given to the hands of men and women, the church of Jesus Christ, so that we get to go and be part of God's work in redeeming his people from the nations. We are now the stewards of this message that the angels are proclaiming in this text. What a gift. Here's what's beautiful. God is using his people to save his people through the work of his son applied by his spirit. We are like Uh, what's it called? We're like paper boys who get to throw the gospel to the doorsteps of the nation. That's the joy that we get to be a part of. God inherits us into the family business. 
He gives us a place and says, get to work. He gives you a team jersey and says, get in the game. Are you bored in life? Do you feel apathetic and uninterested because things just seem so boring? Maybe you're chasing after the things of the world and they just aren't satisfying. Boredom and apathy can easily be one of the biggest robbers of our joy. And I bet that's why you spend so much time on Instagram, social media, ESPN. That's why we do it. We're trying to get away from being bored. What if instead of just distracting ourselves, what if we just rediscovered the beauty of the joy of being sent? God is sending us into these unique corners of the world that only you can go. You have the neighbors that you have. No one else lives to your right or to your left. I can't reach them. Boss can't reach them. Only you. Only you have the family unit that you're in. Only you are in the workplace, in the role that you're in with the coworker to your right and to your left, doing the goods and services that are part of sustaining God's people and creation all around the world. You have been sent, Christian. And that is a gift. So how do we do this in our daily life? We have to remember our identity and we have to remember our message. We let the reality of our identity in Christ as chosen, called, and sent children of God define all of our labor wherever we're at. We let that define what we do as spouses and parents and workers and neighbors and church members. We let that reality define it. We don't get caught up in the activity just trying to make it through. We let the reality define the way that we engage, and then we go understanding our task is to minister to the people with the gospel. That's how we experience the joy of being sent, and that's not boring. There's no greater life than to live it sent for the glory of God because there's no other joy-filled, fruit-filled, gospel-advancing, joy-encompassing venture in the world. Nothing will give you joy like being part of advancing joy in Christ. So do you feel bored? Repent of pursuing the American dream. Repent of pursuing your own joy in the things of this world and run to Jesus, the fount of joy eternal. And remember that you're sent. And be faithful and the joy will come. So these three things, the joy that we are uh, sent, going backwards, joy that we are sent, the joy that we are saved, and the joy that God is for us. These are three realities that I want us to see today. I hope you've seen them. Do you see it? Again, like I said, the whole thing I want to do today was just say, there's the fountain of joy eternally. It's right there. It's Christ. Just run to it. There's joy for you in Jesus, regardless of what's going on in your life. No matter how things are right now, there's joy for you. Do you see it? If so, I'm going to make some final exhortations. If you're here and you're not a Christian, I want to, uh, we, we covered this earlier. You are not in Christ right now. You are, you are, you are currently under the wrath of God. That's what God's word says. It says you are without hope in the world. You can try to find joy in every single thing it, that the world would have to offer. You can find joy in every single way. Uh, read the book of Ecclesiastes. It doesn't go out well. There, there's nothing there because those aren't the true wells. You only come back dissatisfied and more and more broken. But this is the good news. A Savior has been born for you. Savior has been born so that you can be freed from experiencing the wrath of God and so you can have joy eternal. And guess what? Romans 3 says this was given by God as a gift. You don't earn a gift. A gift is purely given by the wealth and the love of the giver. And God's love for you is most clearly displayed in the fact that he sent the Son so that you could be redeemed. And how do you receive a gift? You receive it. 
And today you can receive the gift of salvation by turning from your sin, trusting in Christ. And he promises that he will never cast you out. Come and drink from the fountain. If you're here and you are a Christian, how do we continue to pursue this joy in our daily life? We rest, we trust, we pursue Christ. I want us to be like Luke, or not Luke, like Peter, sorry. Peter, when after the hard words said by Jesus, Peter said, to whom else will I go? I want us to resolve today to look at the things of the world that offer joy and to say, to whom else will I go? Christ is the fountain of my joy. I will go nowhere else. And then we rest in his love. We abide in him. We read his word. We love our neighbor. We love one another in Christ. We participate in the life of the church. We go live out in the joy that we are sent. And in the the process, we start to see more and more the beauty of Christ. And that is where our joy is found. So friends, God is for you, God has saved you, and God has sent you. This is indeed good news of great joy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the way that you minister to us every time it's read and proclaimed and that you don't forsake your people, but rather you minister to them. I'm thankful uh, that you sent Christ to die, and I pray that you would bring the lost home for all those who do know you, that you would fill us full of the joy that is ours in Christ. Help us to see it. Enable us by the Spirit to run to you so that our joy may be full. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from The Trails Church. We hope you have been encouraged, equipped, and edified by time spent together in God's Word. And again, if you'd like to find out more about The Trails Church, visit our website, thetrails.org.